Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, I like you, like it not. That's when it got wheels off. Jack Burdett is a screenwriter. If I knew more about it, I might be able to confidently say... Jack Burdett is a screenwriter's screenwriter. But I can't imagine any screenwriter in the world who wouldn't trade places with him. He's written for, well, most notably 30 Rock, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Frasier. He won multiple Emmys for Frasier, The Mindy Project, Modern Family, and on and on. He is decades into a career as a showrunner, head writer, writer in the room. He's lived a life in TV writing. He's incredibly funny. And he's the kind of funny, too, unlike people like me or the stand-up comedians that I know where we need approval and, you know, ha, come on, laugh at us and clap for us and all that stuff. Jack is not built that way. He's a writer. He's in the room. He's creating something and letting it live in his head and then figuring out how to make it go onto a piece of paper where someone else can execute it in such a way that the whole world laughs at it. But he doesn't have to, you know, stand up on stage and take in the adulation. But oh my goodness, does he deserve adulation. Jack Burdett is gifted and generous and hilarious. I spoke to him from his home in California. He's now kind of taking it easy, although, as you'll hear, he's been hard at work in his own way. Stick around if you're a 30 Rock fan. I mean, I'm sure you'll stick around for the whole thing, but especially the last 10 minutes or so of the interview, we remember the season three season finale of 30 Rock where the Kidney Now episode, where I got to be a part of this We Are the World type spoof that featured 30 plus musicians all crowded into the 30 Rock soundstage and such insanity that day. It was really fun going back to that day with Jack and remembering just some of we could have gone on for another hour remembering the crazy stuff that happened that day I really enjoyed talking to Jack and I think that no matter what your area of expertise your field of creativity or even if you're just an an audience member who likes to listen in on these conversations there's so much in this wheels off that I know you're going to love Welcome to Wheels Off, Jack Burdett. It's good to be here. And thank you so much for joining me. This is really great. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm I, uh, I, glad you uh, rooked me into this. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't uh, normally like to do uh, podcasts, but uh, I mean, I love you and uh, I miss you. And uh, so here I am. Well, this is, it should be quick and painless. And, uh, and if at any point you want to pull the ripcord, you just say the word and we will do that. <laughs> but um, so for the, for the sake of our listeners, what part of the world are you stationed in right now? I am in central California. I'm about two and a half hours north of Los Angeles. Uh, so this is something new because I usually work in Los Angeles and uh, I haven't had to uh, work there, of course, lately. So uh, when I actually get a real job again, I don't know what I'm going to do. Because <laughs> yeah. I also, I had a house. I had this house up here and then I also had a place in LA to stay, but I sold that uh, during the pandemic. It's fun to sell a house during a pandemic. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, are you being facetious? Because where I live, the house prices have skyrocketed. So everybody wants to sell a house right now. I'm assuming that as you say this, you're, you're joking. Like, it was probably not super fun. It, no, nothing about it was, was fun. And yeah, it's just, you know, and like I gave stuff away, but I was like, oh, should we try to sell this and that? off and you just can't right now you don't want people in your house you don't want <laughs> yeah so yeah it was uh it was difficult and yeah just all the services that you want to uh hire to help you it's just like no we just did it ourselves well it's funny i feel like i'm probably not the only one of your friends that for years has been begging you to slow down take a break you don't have to work so much <laughs> Because you have always pushed yourself and, and worked and flown and gone and worked from afar, uh, even away from your family for large stretches of time. And um, now you're sort of forced to like, shut it down. So, yeah, I mean, is it has it been kind of a silver lining? Oh, it's been great. It's been great to to just spend time with the kids and everything like that. And I mean, where I live is is a farm. We got animals and goats and donkeys and all kinds of things and and uh i don't know what i'm doing uh none of us do but we're learning and and that's kind of fun too so it's been great to uh just kick back not have to worry about going to work every day and just being a family and and pretending to be farmers and so when i was you know uh, threatening slash begging to get you to to appear as a guest on this and you um you maintained for a minute that there you have nothing going on right now and there would be no reason but then you confessed that you do have something that you've been working on uh so what is it what creative project have you been working on and how is it lighting you up uh i mean it's, it's way different for me so i wrote a novel uh which i never attempted a book before uh and uh, i mean this it goes back so there's a history to this. I first came up with the idea about 20 years ago. And then I wrote it as a pilot about 15 years ago. And it was a weird pilot. And people liked it, but they're like, it's weird. We don't know where it's going. And so I started thinking a lot more about where it would go and, and the world it would spin off. And during that time, I thought, well, maybe this is a book instead. And I kind of tinkered with it through the years. And I really started writing as a book probably six years ago. And it was 
oh, I have, I have a little bit of time. I'll write a paragraph today. And okay, I got a, and I just wrote a little bit whenever I had a chance. And then at, so I think, I think California locked down March 16th. And uh, I thought, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take advantage of this. Uh, I'm just going to finish the book. And I got off social media, uh, stopped watching TV. Sports was gone. I, I have wasted so much of my life watching sports. So suddenly <laughs> there was no distraction like that. And I, in what, six, seven months, I finished the book. I finished it like mid-October. It's way too long. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> That's my son pumping iron in the next room. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I thought it was a haunted house. Um, yeah. And um, when you say way too long, how it's long? A, it's 700 pages. Okay. <laughs> so, so I probably wrote, I think in the last seven months, I wrote like 90,000 words of it. So the last whatever. Um, so I have to now go back through and trim and do all that and make it better and and so i finished it mid-october i haven't looked at it since but next week i pick it up again and i'm gonna see what i got and see if it, but i mean it it's been uh it's been terrifying to do <laughs> and exhilarating to do and i it's so different from anything else i usually write because i you know, when you write TV, half your writing is by yourself and the other half is in a writer's room and with a bunch of people helping you all the time. And I kept looking up during this process going, wait, is somebody else going to pay? I'm tired today. Can somebody else write the next few pages? And there's just nobody. And, and you push through and you're exhausted. And at the end of the day, you go, I barely made a dent and there's so much more to do. And so it's, it, I don't know. It, it's been fun, but, uh, but exhausting too. So you've stacked up tens of thousands of hours um, writing for television. Yes. And I just wonder like how much of that translates, like how many of those credits transfer, you know, from like how much of, did you, when you were working on the book, did you find yourself using um, structures and systems and tricks that you'd used or was it completely different? Uh, I would say both. I mean, it is funny because I've shown some of the book to a couple people and their first reaction was, oh, this is like a movie franchise or, um, or a series. And they're like, oh, so I didn't go as far away from <laughs> what I know, what, what I write normally. But, uh, I mean, just, you know having to describe things and, and, and things and not saying the word thing, <laughs> which I could use in stage directions all the time in a script or whatever. And actually like, I couldn't be lazy with some of the writing going, Oh, you know, a production designer will figure that out or, you know, a director will figure out how to get this. And so there was that. And I did find myself sometimes while writing the book, and there's some action sequences. And I wrote the hell out of them. 
And then I looked back at it. And I went, but this isn't real life. I got to be more real. This is like movie action. So I just like, well, if two guys are fighting. What's the fight really going to look like? So then I, so there was some underwriting of places where, where normally I would go bigger if I was writing for television. Oh, man. God, I'm so excited. I, you know, of course, all I want to ask you is, what's the story? Who's the main, <laughs> but I'm not going to do any of that. I can wait. Um, so, okay, I, when I go in later and record an introduction for this, I, I'm going to list off um, what what's I'm sure will be a, a skimpy partial list of the incredible, you know, IMDb list of credits that you've amassed over the years. Um, but you've been doing this for so long, and you've got so many shows that people love that are just such a part of the you know the 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 collective unconscious at this point um do you remember like in the very beginning was there a point that you knew that you were going to be a writer not just a writer but like a scripted you know tv kind of writer like was there an epiphany moment when you were really like a young person uh no so if my my dad wrote sitcoms he was, well, he, he started in variety shows. Uh, well, he started even before that uh, as a greeting card writer. We lived in Cleveland, and uh, I, I spent the first 10 years of my life in, in Cleveland. And, and my dad was like in his mid-40s when he changed careers. And some people he worked with in greeting cards started, had come out to L.A. and, and uh started writing for variety shows or get smart and things like laughing and th shows like that. So my dad's like, they always said, you, you got to come out here. So he went out, we stayed in Ohio and, uh, until he felt like I made it. And so he wrote variety shows for a while, like Andy Williams show, Sonny and Cher, a bunch of things. And then, um, he started, I think he saw the writing on the wall. It's like, oh, variety shows might be going away at some point. So he, st he started writing sitcoms. He had a writing partner, and they wrote sitcoms. And they wrote, like, uh, episodes of All in the Family and Jefferson's and Sanford and Son. And then wound up, uh, I, I think because of the Jefferson's and All in the Family, the writers he knew from there, started Three's Company, and then he wound up doing Three's Company. And I think he wrote the most episodes of Three's Company out of anybody. So uh, so he did it really well. It, everything he did, he did really well, and which made me not want to ever try it. I'm like, I, love, I loved my dad. It's awesome. We got along great. But I'm like, I can't be that dummy who tries to follow in his dad's footsteps and just fails and falls on his face. So, but the one thing I did know was I was, I could write, I could write myself out of jams. It's the only way I graduated from high school. I was a terrible student. I loaded up on as many writing classes and English courses as I could. And it was the only way I graduated. And I became interested in journalism. So I went that route for a number of years, and I did that for, I don't know, 10 years. Uh, yeah, about 10 years. And, uh, you know, started writing scripts on the side with another reporter. And we just wrote some not great scripts. And they were always like these big action scripts or whatever. And I, I don't think that's what I was meant to write. Um, and so I finally... 
after having four kids and going, I'm a journalist and I can't pay any bills and I eat top ramen for lunch every day for the last seven years, I, uh, I have to do something. And I wrote a Seinfeld spec. And I didn't show it to my dad. I didn't want to. I was like, what if he thinks it's terrible? But he showed it around. I got a good agent. And he uh, and the agent got me on on Mad About You. Um, and uh, which was a great learning place, great place to just learn about everything I needed to know about sitcom writing. And still... So I, I, I guess I've gone away from your question, but I, I don't know when uh, I felt like, oh, I can do this. I'm good at this. Uh, this is what I was meant to do. It certainly wasn't on Mad About You. And the job after that was Frasier, and I was still like trying to figure out who I was, what I was doing. And I did that. Then I did a show called Inc. And... I don't know, somewhere there or just shoot me, I finally started getting the confidence, like I can really do this and maybe maybe I don't have to worry every year that I'm not going to have a job. God, I think about the bravery that it must have taken for you with four kids and already like you've got a career, and but just to be able to go out and try something new. And was that terrifying? Oh, yeah. No, it, it really was. And uh, yeah, it was always terrifying. I, I I realized, I think I had this epiphany a couple of years ago. It's like, oh, I spent most of my life just terrified <laughs> of, of failure every step of the way. So uh, I don't know when I got comfortable, but it was only maybe in the last 10 years. It's so funny because knowing what I do about your writing and like the scripts that I know that I've heard other writers that you've worked with talk about, you know, attribute specifically to you. And I mean, in a writer's room, a lot of things get, you know, the, a lot of authors get their fingers in a script eventually. But the when I think about your stuff, it feels so brave to me. Like it feels like you as a writer in, in the scripts and the TV stuff, you go these places where just they kind of seem like insane. Like, like I could see how I'm thinking, and I've brought this up to you before, I'm thinking specifically of the scene where Tracy Morgan uh, and Alec Baldwin acts out all the characters in tra the mom and the dad and in 30 Rock, when, when Alec Baldwin does all these voices. And I've heard other writers from that writer's room describe that scene as like, nobody thought it was going to work. It seemed like way too insane, potentially offensive, and all these things. And now... Like it's widely regarded by fans of that show as one of the, the pinnacle moments of that show. Like, do you feel like you're being brave? Do you feel like you're like doing something that's really incredibly cool? Or does it just you do what you feel like is right? No, I mean, OK, I will say that that felt like a brave moment. And yes. I yes. So, no, I, I, I will. Give that up. I, I do feel and it. Sometimes I wonder, like, artistically, like, I kind of go back and forth. Am I an artist or am I a technician? And I kind of wrestle with this all the time because there are ideas I've had um, that I really want to do, show ideas I've had, and I've gone in and pitched them. And the executives will go, that's great, that's great. Uh, we really should do that. But first, we want you to do this other thing. And 
there was a part of me that was always like, well, I need to, I need to pay the bills. And I, I felt like sometimes I've been the coward and instead of going, no, I really want to do this, even though I know you want me to do that other thing, uh, I've, I've given in and done the other thing. Or I've written a pilot that I really like and there's something in it that I feel is brave and really says something. And during the pilot process, I just let it get it watered down. You know, at first I fight back. I fight the executive notes and I'm like, no, this is the reason I want to do this pilot. And then you just keep getting the same notes. And then maybe an actor comes in and goes, I don't know about this. And then you're like, ah, and finally you're just like giving up. And so sometimes I feel brave and other times I'm like, oh, you are a coward. Bert. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh my gosh. It's so funny that, that you would say that because it seems like, I mean, you know, the, there's a world filled, there's a Hollywood full of people who would give anything to, to do what you've done and you're beating yourself up about these things. So, okay. So clearly you're a sensitive guy in a town that is just filled with, you know, backstabbing murderers or whatever. <laughs> so Mostly good people. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay. So you've got the, the external stuff that's obvious. How do you deal with the way that you beat yourself up from the inside. Like, I mean, clearly you do, and it breaks my heart a little bit, but to hear you describe it, but how do you deal with like, you know, being in a, such a cutthroat industry, but still kind of being like, I think of you very much as an artist, but still being a sensitive artist. Oh, I sometimes write stuff for myself and, you know, I've written, pilots that I wasn't getting paid for that I just like, I have to write this script and maybe somebody will want to do it and maybe not. And there, I think that's how I sometimes deal with it. I, um, you know, and I like none of those pilots that I just wrote on spec, <laughs> including the thing that eventually became a book uh, has ever sold or whatever, but I don't regret ever spending time writing it because I think it, it soothes my mind in a way. But also, I mean, it's also sometimes I work with the right people. I mean, and that's, you know, you mentioned 30 Rock and 30 Rock. Like when I met Tina Fey and Robert Carlock, who, you know, they ran the show together. I mean, I was like, oh, these are the people I was meant to work with because they like all the weirdness that other showrunners or executives may have tried to slap out of me at times. They, I could pitch something wild and they'd be like, great, let's do that. And so there's that. It's sometimes working with the right people. That, it's funny, uh, even with 30 Rock, I remember there was one season that you stepped away. Was it one or there, two? There were two seasons. Uh, yeah. And even in those seasons, I still wrote a little bit from yeah. afar. Yeah. It was just, and that had, all that had to do with was my family stayed in LA while I lived in New York. Yeah. So I, I had to, uh, at times, like my wife called at the end of season three of Gertie Rock. I'd been in New York for three years. And she goes, hey, we have to be married again. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> you're right. You're right. <laughs> She flew to New York, and we packed up everything, and we oh. drove back out together. Uh, and 
and then so season four i was not like i wrote an episode i think and and then kind of missed it and she was like now you can go back and i did that in season five and then at the end of season five i i actually wrote a pilot that got shot and it made it on the air and and uh so that kept me away even though i did write another episode that year and then life happened a lot of things happened and then i went back for the final season of 30 rock it's um it's it's kind of funny i mean it's such a brutal industry to hear you describe it and i guess i've got friends that have had their hearts broken by it um you know i i guess i'm i guess i'm watching you now transition into maybe writing a novel and i wonder how that's going to feel you've already described the sort of the loneliness of it but um i look forward to seeing like because you will eventually work with an editor i'm assuming i yes i i need a very good editor <laughs> to, to, yeah and and hopefully not a not a mean editor because <laughs> i'm sure i made some terrible mistakes in it well, it's funny because you talked about all the pilots that you wrote that never got made, right? And this comes yeah. up a lot during these wheels off conversations. You know, the songs that we have to write through 100 songs before we get to our first good song or whatever. Like you, but you have to write them. There's no skipping that. I mean, is that the, you found that, that to be the case? Yes, yes. And it, you know, and I, I think it's an old cliche that, you know, when people say, what's the secret to writing? I mean, but it is, it's write every day. Right. Even if you're not feeling it, maybe in just write 15 minutes and maybe in that 15 minutes, most days crap, but some days there'll be one line or something in there that just will spark something big. So just at least do that. <laughs> I love that. All right. Well, that's obviously very practical, useful uh, advice right there. But I'm going to ask you the big question that I know is hack, but. I've actually found it to be, it gets good stuff from people. If you were to meet a 21-year-old version of Jack Burdett, but working in this world now, uh, do you have any advice you might give yourself? 21 years. Okay, so I'm 21, but I'm working today. Yeah. Uh, I mean, remember myself as a 21-year-old, I would say, First of all, calm the F down. <laughs> just like, like, just, you know, don't get in your way. Uh, don't be afraid to fall. Don't be afraid to fail. Um, you're better than you think you are. You know, I would also tell my 40 year old self, you're not as good as you think you are. So I would do, do that. Uh, but uh it's interesting. So, like, working in today's world, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out television now. I've worked in network television my entire life. I mean, even I did Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and that was on Netflix, but was originally meant for NBC. And But things happened, and I think NBC wasn't so... They were worried about it. They had their concerns about the show, so then it became a Netflix show. Uh, so, really, I've only been on network television. I think you know, streaming and that is where everything interesting is going on now. So I wish I had some advice for the 21 year old me now, but I go find out about that world and go to that and, and be brave, be braver than I was when I was starting out, I think. Um, and 
social media, stay off of it. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I don't think it's good. I, I, I know I'm not saying anything that, uh, you know, a million other people haven't said, but uh, yeah, that's the crutch. Although, you know, I still look at Twitter every once in a while and I just go there for the jokes and people are really funny on there. And I try to avoid the, the garbage and the noise on Twitter and stuff. But I would just say, I wrote, I wrote 90,000 words, plus I worked on three other projects in seven months because I stayed off of that and sports wasn't on. And, <laughs> and all I did was listen to music that came out this year, including your album, which is fantastic. And so Aww. that's it. Had just a playlist of just 2020 music because I'm like, I want to remember this weird moment in time and I want it to be locked into what we're listening to. It's been a really good year for music, so bravo to all of you. Well, yeah, I was listening to the new Waxahachie record, and yeah. I got to interview Kevin Morby a couple of weeks ago, and his new record. You're right. You're right. It's funny, and I wondered if people would listen to music during this, because we're not driving. You know? Yeah, right. We're all at home, but I, I guess I do find that people are still consuming music. Yeah, I, I get more inspired by music than anything, by the way. I mean, for writing-wise, I, I always have to listen to music. If not when I'm writing, sometimes when, I, a lot of times when I'm writing, sometimes I just need the quiet, but a lot of times when I'm writing, I listen to music. And I get more inspired by great song, by great album, than I do by any TV show or, or movie I watch or book I read. Can you listen to music with lyrics while you're writing, or does it have to be instrumental? No, I, I can listen to lyrics. Okay. Yes, yes. I, I know a lot of people can't. And sometimes, sometimes I have to, you know, I guess when I really get to a place where I, I really got to concentrate, the music goes off altogether. Yeah. Um, so before I let you go, I was hoping that you would um, go back with me a little bit to the Kidney Now episode of 30 Rock that I got to be a part of, which was one of the most fun days of my life. <laughs> um, so for our listeners, if you don't know it, I stop everything and go watch the Kidney Now episode. It was final season? Uh, no, it was third season. Oh my God, it was third season. Jesus. Yeah, it was a season finale of season okay. three. Time is a flat circle. Yes. Yeah. So you brought in like 30 musicians or something like that, right? Yeah, yes. It was crazy. So it is funny because because I love music so much. Um, Tina Fey was the one who first threw out the thing of, we're, we had this storyline going where Alan Alda plays uh, Alec Baldwin's dad, biological dad, and needs a kidney. And Tina one day just threw out, you know, maybe... Uh, Jack Donaghy, who's Alex, who Alec played, uh, throws, uh, has a Where Are the World type uh, song to uh, raise money because he doesn't want to give his own kidney. He wants to raise money and find somebody else's kidney. And because I love music so much, I'm like, I know she threw it out as an idea. I'm not, I, I grabbed it like a dog with a bone. <laughs> I'm like, not going to let this one go. And, 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 uh, yeah, we just kept pushing. We kept trying to break that episode and, uh, that stayed in Robert Carlock, Robert and I wrote the episode 
and and he was on board with that too and and so yeah we just kept pushing him forward and then we kept hearing from people like you're you're not going to get you're not going to get musicians to do this you're just not you know and uh we thought well we can at least try and uh it, it was kind of amazing how quickly it came together and i think i think on day one of let's see who can do this i called you <laughs> I said, hey could you would you be interested in doing this and uh, i was so happy when you said yes and then i think through your management company you brought in you got us in contact with both steve earl mm -hmm. and rachel yeah uh, yeah and uh Steve yeah. Earl was Steve Earl was there for a moment that I wasn't present for that he then came in and described to the green room filled with musicians after it happened. But you were in the room when it happened, and I'm wondering if you remember it the way he described it. To hear Steve describe it, the way it was working was you were bringing down groups of three musicians at a time, and they were going to learn the song, record their part while sitting there, and, and have it described to them what they were going to do. So manageable small groups. So the group of three was Steve Earl... Uh, Michael McDonald mm -hmm. and Wyclef Sean, of course. And, yeah, um, yeah, those three. <laughs> and so the three of them sat there and they got the whole spiel about Alan Alda needs a kidney. This is the song. These are the lyrics you're going to sing. And, and the way Steve described it was at the end of that whole spiel, Wyclef Sean goes, so wait, let me get this right. You guys are making a big joke about how this guy needs a kidney, right? And that's what this is all about. And, um, and, and he's... He said something like, I've got a nephew that needs a kidney. and I don't think this is funny. And I'm out of here. And he walked all the way across the soundstage in utter silence. As you guys apparently are all sitting there thinking, oh, my God, we're going to have to cancel this. And he got to the door and he turned around and said, I'm just fucking with y'all. Is that right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> what were you thinking? Oh, my God. I mean. <sighs> yeah, I. I it was just, I, I think we all just felt bad. It's like, oh, it, I mean, look, we, as comedy writers too, we've all, <laughs> we've all gone through the thing of like something we think is funny, insult somebody to no end. And you, you do, your heart breaks a little bit for them. So it's just like, oh, it wasn't just like, oh, we're going to have to cancel this thing. But like, oh, are we terrible people? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, look, we had so many great days. At, at 30 Rock. I mean, it, it was the best gig I ever had. It was so much fun. But, I mean, I think that was the most fun I ever had that day. I what mean, about I the just, Beastie Boys? Do you remember, like, weren't they pulling pranks all day long? They stole uh, one of the PA's walkie-talkies and would make announcements like, uh, somebody's got to go to Cheryl Crow's dressing room. She threw up all over the place. <laughs> and people <laughs> thought it was real. <laughs> So there's that. I mean, yeah, and uh, my God, no, it was it was an incredible uh, convergence of, of great talent. I mean, it was just so exciting. I I, I never wanted that day to end. And uh, I mean, and to me, at the time, I thought this is my last time on Thirty Rock because that was the end of season three, okay. and I knew I was going to go back to L.A. not knowing that I'd be lured back two more times. Well, if, <laughs> if that had been the final moment, that was pretty great.
Yeah, it was pretty great. So, yeah, I yeah. watched so many funny things happen that I thought would for sure make the final cut, but it must have been incredibly hard, probably with all of these shows, with as funny as the cast you guys had, to cut it down you know, to the 22 minutes or whatever. But yeah. just, like even Wyclef, the stuff he was doing, just the kind of ad-lib stuff he was doing as the group was performing, there were so many funny things that just couldn't make the cut. Yeah, no, there was, yes, I know. I wish... You know, like if we're doing it now, the world where everything's expanded, and well, if it was streaming or whatever, we could have the entire. Uh, yeah, we we had to cut out so much of that, and it, it broke my heart because so many people were funny, and and yeah. it was great, and it was so funny because uh, you know we were told you're never going to get all these people together, and then what happened is you know. We started getting a few, and like Elvis Costello joined in, and and Mary J. Blige, and and then it started. To, then we started getting calls from people, and we're like, they heard about it. They're like, can I be a like Cindy Lauper? We're like, of course, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like she lived in New York. It's like, yeah, oh, I'll just I'll just show up. It's like, oh my god. Well, she had the best line reading too. There was one gag in there where Nora Jones was supposed to say. And three of us are drunk, try to guess one's which. Which she kept saying, try to guess which ones. <laughs> and then Cindy Lauper later goes, I'm one of the drunk ones. And it, she delivered it so great. Yeah. I mean, sorry, I could talk about that, just oh, that no. episode with you forever. <laughs> it, it, was, it, it was absolutely a highlight of my entire life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, we, thing- we, we put all you guys in the, like, the little apartment area together. Mm-hmm. It was just... Walking in there, I'm like, I can't believe it. I, I felt like a kid, you know, who at a fantasy camp or something like that. I couldn't believe it. My favorite was uh, Jack McBrayer, who played Kenneth the Page, um, showed up in his page uniform that day. And I had never met him before. And I got introduced. And, um, and I said, oh, are you are you in the scene? And he said, no, I just wore this uniform because I thought nobody would recognize me if I didn't. <laughs> How perfect! How much is that him? It's, I mean, but also, how much is that most of us? <laughs> like, we always feel like, oh, like almost like we've got to prove we belong in a room, even though we do belong in the room. We're always yeah. like, oh no, these there's better people in this room, and I feel <laughs> that's an ongoing struggle. <laughs> well, look, I've been doing these wheels off interviews for two years now, and and the thing that that has always surprised me and will never stop surprising me is that people like you or people like all these brilliant people I've gotten to speak to have some version of that imposter syndrome, that feeling like you don't belong, like you're not good enough. And it, it breaks my heart because I want to go back to my younger self and tell myself or even my current self and Mm -hmm. say, this is universal. I want to just, I wish if people listening to these took away nothing else, I wish they would take that away. Like, give yourself a break. You are great. You deserve to be in the room. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, and it's something I feel like you only discover that other people feel that way when you get older because <laughs> nobody's admitting it when they're younger. <laughs> yeah. And then you get older and you're like, boy, I did not. <laughs> people get a lot more honest. And it's like, oh, really? Really? All these years I... It was in competition with you. I really wasn't. I was, <laughs> I don't know. It's Man, 
Well, dude, I'm so glad I got to speak with you. And I'm so grateful for you being so open and insightful Well, for being you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I, I was thrilled to do this. Thrilled to see you. Yeah. And, great and, to and see I you. can't wait until this can be like in person again. Oh, God. Your lips to God's ears. I hope it's soon. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jack. Take care. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.